Let's talk about the issue of wrongful convictions. They don't just happen in the United States. You know, there are some very famous cases here in Canada where the wrong people were convicted, and it was years before we realized that. In fact, there is a registry of wrongful convictions in this country and people who work on them continuously. Well, Kent Roach is a legal scholar who does that work as well. He's a professor of law at the University of Toronto's Faculty of Law and the author of a book called Wrongfully Convicted. Joins us now to talk more about that. Good morning, Kent. Good morning, Simi. How common is this, do you think, in Canada? Well, I mean, we've uh, recorded 83 uh, cases where the wrongful convictions have been remedied. This begs the question of how many are out there that have not been remedied. And of course, even if you assume the criminal justice system gets it right 99% of the time, and most humans make errors more frequently than that, that there would still be thousands of wrongful convictions that are not corrected. How hard is it to overturn a wrongful conviction in this country? Well, I mean, perhaps not as hard as in the United States, but it's not easy. So basically, uh, our definition are cases where new evidence is admitted on appeal. And so once you're convicted, you may be imprisoned and lose your job. And you have to find new evidence that perhaps the police didn't find or didn't even look for and introduce that to the court. And of course, if all of your appeals are exhausted, you're only final remedy is to convince the federal minister of justice to order a new trial or a new appeal. And does that happen? Well, it happens about once a year. So, I mean, there's legislation now before Parliament that would replace the Minister of Justice's role with a new independent commission. And so there's hope that more people will apply and have faith in a new independent commission, which would have public funds and powers to search for new evidence. There have been some pretty famous cases, though, haven't there, Kent, about wrongful conviction in this country? Yes, and, and, you know, one of the reasons why we did the registry and one of the reasons that we did the book is, you know, no, you know, I, I mean, we should remember the David Milgards, the Donald Marshalls, but there's a lot of people that are not household names, and they and their families have suffered really irreparable harm. So one of our purposes was just to lay it out there that mistakes are made and that they have real-life consequences. I tell you, the one that really sticks in my head that I remember uh, from when I was young was Guy Paul Moran. Yes, no, and, you know, I mean, Guy Paul Moran was one of the lucky ones in a sense in that he was exonerated by DNA. But if we're waiting for the certainty of a DNA exoneration in most wrongful convictions, will never be corrected because, you know, less than 20% of all criminal cases involve DNA. And, of course, if you assume that the police, <coughs> that the police will... Um, pardon me, <clears throat> that the police will collect and test DNA. Eventually, DNA exonerations will go by the wayside, but that doesn't mean that wrongful convictions will. Right. Okay. So I guess, is there anything that we can build into the system then, or are there ways to improve our system so that this does not happen as often? 
Well, I mean, I think it starts with good policing and policing that doesn't narrow in on the usual suspects because there's a huge issue of discrimination. So 16% of the wrongfully convicted in our registry are Indigenous. And so you might say, well, they're getting remedies. But as you know, over a third of our prison population is Indigenous. So you would expect that a third of the wrongfully convicted might also be Indigenous, even not assuming discrimination. So I think, you know, we all need to be aware of this and we all have to try to internalize the presumption of innocence, which is unfortunately somewhat contrary to human nature. So what can we build in? Is there are there new rules that we can put into place? Is it better training? What would what would improve the yeah. situation? Well, I mean, you know, there's prevention, which is one issue, and there is remedy. And so the federal government has, I think, to its credit, uh, a bill uh, that will create this new commission. But I think it's an open question whether the bill will be passed before an election, whether it will be reintroduced after an election. And even more importantly, we could have a commission, but if it's not properly funded and properly properly staffed, it's not not going to be able to remedy the wrongful convictions that indeed the Supreme Court of Canada has told us are inevitable in any system run by humans. Now, Kent, I know you you work on this, right? These are cases that you work on. Is it frustrating for you as well to sometimes perhaps come across a case where you go, this is so egregious, how was this allowed to happen? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 frustrating. It's, you know, basically having to rely upon volunteers, whether it's at the UBC Innocence Clinic, Innocence Project, which has done wonderful work, or, or Innocence Canada. Uh, and, uh, you know, often the wrongfully convicted do not receive compensation, and they're completely devastated by, by, by this. So, so yes, I mean, it is frustrating. I, I, I remember in the Guy Paul Moran inquiry, which I participated in, uh, was a long time ago, and still some of its recommendations have not been implemented. And we haven't even had a public inquiry on a wrongful conviction since 2008 when David Milgard's in inquiry was finished. And, you know, one of the reasons that we've done the registry and that we've written the book is that we want to keep this issue alive. Okay, and and does it do that? Do you find that, do Canadians, I mean, we don't tend to get outraged over a lot, but when we do, boy, we really get going. Is this something that Canadians get outraged about? Well, I mean, you know, I, I, I think there was a lot of sympathy with the in part because it's named after the late David and Joyce Milgard, but I worry that younger generations don't know this. I mean, the Tragically Hip talked about it being late-breaking news on the CBC, but, you know, it was a long time ago. And more more recent uh, wrongful convictions, whether it's Ivan Henry or Connie Oakes, are not the household names that David Milgard rightly is. Why do you think that is? Well, I mean, I think some of it is that the media is facing challenge. Uh, we used to have investigative reporters that could specialize in miscarriages of justice. And I think that, uh, uh, you know, without the, you know, a big bang of a DNA exoneration, 
uh, people are, you know, uh, unfortunately uh, losing interest and not paying attention the way that really we all should as citizens. But yet it's also an era where, you know, a proliferation of talking about true crime, whether it's podcasts or books or uh, there seems to be a fascination with these cases. A lot of podcasts in the United States focus on, on wrongful convictions, don't they? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, certainly, you know, one of the most popular ones uh, eventually led to That's right. uh, yeah. to an exoneration. But there's there's a danger if we see these things as entertainment, because, uh, I mean, they are human tragedies. And there's also a danger if we think of these things as whodunit. So one of the things that our registry has uh, recorded, and this is also consistent with the American registry, is a third of wrongful convictions are about crimes that never happened. So if you're waiting for the last chapter for the real perpetrator to be revealed, it's never going to come. And of course, crimes that didn't happen, what I call imagined crimes in my book, are cases where we let our suspicions get the best of us. And so I worked on some of the Charles Smith uh, um, uh, cases in Ontario, and those were cases where um, Charles Smith had suspicions about uh, caregivers of children, particularly if they were racialized or if they were single mothers. And, but those suspicions were allowed to grow into murder convictions and entirely rational pleas to manslaughter in order to avoid mandatory life imprisonment that comes with murder. So, you know, with imagined crimes, which are a third of our remedied wrongful convictions, we really have to look deep inside all of our psyches and say, why are we so suspicious of some people that we're creating crimes out of accidents and suicides and the like? That's so interesting. Kent, thanks for your time on that. Uh, you're most welcome. Kent Roach is a professor of law at the University of Toronto's Faculty of Law. He investigates wrongful convictions across Canada. He's actually written a book called Wrongfully Convicted, and you can check it out now.